You're with Sean Jung and Where the Veil Grows Thin, an exploration of the sacred moments of our human experience in life and death, joy and sorrow, birth and end of life. It's the unscripted instant when the heart opens, the face-to-face moments with the divine. nice to be back. This is a story that I wrote a long time ago about a woman that I had forgotten about, and then I was scrolling through photographs on my phone, and I found pictures that I took the day that I was visiting that this story is about, and I wanted to share it with you. Joyce greets me at the door. It's only my third visit, but she opens the door before I can knock and welcomes me with her love. Smiling warmly and with a sweeping gesture of entry, she invites me into the neat, tiny, ancient cabin that sits on a bluff above the Colorado River. She shuts the door to the frigid January day and wraps me in one of her healing hugs. Joyce is Granny's friend. She and her husband, Dan, have helped Granny to be able to stay in her home for almost 25 years. They were her next-door neighbors. Granny, who was living alone, was always warm and friendly. It started innocently with the neighborly sweeping of the old lady's walk when a dusting of snow would make walking dangerous for her, and then it formed quickly into a friendship based on the simplest foundation of loving kindness and goodness of heart. Dan and Joyce couldn't be more like family if they'd been born of Granny's own flesh and blood. About five years ago, They left their own home next door and moved into the house because Granny needed constant care. Granny's house, when it had been built in the early 1900s, had been in the country, way in the country. On a bluff overlooking the Grand River Valley and the Colorado River, it is now part of the community it was once away from, but it is still on the edge of town, so visiting Granny still feels like a visit to the country. It is a Friday afternoon. I can't remember exactly what her hospice diagnosis was. There is a large tumor in her belly not identified one way or the other, since at the time it was discovered, she was 98 years old, and she did not want the doctors to dig any deeper. That was two years prior to my meeting her. She has had nothing by mouth but sips of water and liquid morphine for six days when I arrive on that Friday. She has been in hospice care for just a few weeks. Joyce walks me to Granny's room and quietly opens the door. Granny is in her bed, just below a window that casts a winter's glow on her incredibly fascinating face, the only part of her that is showing above the quilts and blankets that cover her. She is awake and comfortably resting in her bed with precious her cat, who is anything but precious. 
I place a chair alongside her bed. Joyce has hung new, sheer red curtains in the window by Granny's bed, and the light that comes through gives Granny's face a rosy pink hue. Joyce tells me that Granny's cat, Precious, who is anything but, likes to sit in that window and had completely shredded the old curtains to bits in her attempts to move the curtains out of her way. I can well imagine. Granny smiles when she sees me and smiles even bigger as Joyce is telling me about Precious and the curtains. I lean in close and gently hold the fingers of the hand that has crept above the quilt tucked up to Granny's chin. I whisper, hi, and she whispers, hi, back. I ask if it's all right for me to sit a spell, and she says, oh, please do. Joyce silently leaves the room. I look over at Precious, who is anything but. She is on the far side of Granny, stretched her full length, completely white, watching me, just the tip of her tail twitching. I know better than to extend my hand any further than Granny's fingertips. I say to Granny that she looks so beautiful and ask if she is feeling as peaceful as she looks. She answers me with a smile that melts my heart. And I say, no pain? And she says, well, I wouldn't go that far, smiling again. We sit for 30 seconds, maybe a full minute, just looking at one another. And I tell her I am so happy to see her again. She is smiling, but she says nothing. And I say, Granny, you are so ready to go, aren't you? And she says, yes. And I say, I'm sorry it's taking so long. And that she is being so patient with the process. And she just says, yes, I'll go when it's my turn. And you've had a good life, yes? Oh, yes, she says with great enthusiasm. And you have a warm bed to wait in and kind hands to care for you. Yes, she says, blessed. I am so, so blessed. Do you need anything at all, I ask. And she answers me, smiling. How could I possibly? Her response to this question moves me deeply. To be able to lie there and say the kindest things about her care and her life, so filled with gratitude for everything Dan and Joyce have done for her, to know her less-than-precious cat, Precious, will be cared for just as lovingly as she herself has been, and for as long as she needs to be. Joyce comes in and asks me if I can stay with Granny while she leaves to pick up her grandchildren from school. And I ask Joyce if she thinks it would be all right to ask Granny's permission for a photograph. And she thinks it's a wonderful idea. Granny says yes, and I get the camera from the car before Joyce has to leave to get the kids. The light in Granny's room is perfect, and I take some beautiful photographs of Joyce and Granny together, and then some of just Granny and Precious, who is anything but. Joyce leaves, Granny rests, 
and I just sit with my hand gently on her side. Her eyes are closed, but when the cabin's front door squeaks open, so do her eyes. A man comes quietly into her room. He is old and stooped, has missing teeth, is wearing worn but clean rancher's clothes. For a brief moment, I wonder if we are all in a dream, and this is her deceased husband coming to check up on us, or coming to take her home. I introduce myself and offer to go to the other room so they can visit, and he says, no, 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 no need. I just wanted to say hi to Mary, Granny's given name. I just wanted to say hi to Mary. He reaches over to her leg and gives her leg a little shake and says quite loudly, How you feeling today? Any better? Which I find so cute since the woman is clearly dying, and to which she responds, Yeah, a little, which I find even cuter. He says to her, Now you get better, Miss Mary. You still owe me a dance on the back porch. And she smiles. He bows, and then he leaves. It all happens so fast and at the same time so slowly that after he's gone, I really wonder if it even happened at all. And after that, I just sat, watching her rest and listening to Precious Purr all stretched out along the other side of the bed. And then I started to sing, slow and quiet a new song that we'd been learning in the Threshold Chorus. Open my heart. Let holy love flow through me. Center my soul upon the path of peace. Make of my life a melody of love, singing Alleluia, Alleluia, O Great One, Alleluia. Those are the words and that's all you're going to get. <laughs> I thought about singing it, but I'm just not that brave. <laughs> and I sing this song over and over and over, and sometimes humming, sometimes with words. Granny is there, hovering, resting, peaceful, grateful, beautiful, and patient. Joyce comes back with the kids, strikingly beautiful six-year-old twin boys and their nine-year-old sister. It is tradition that Fridays are sleepover night at their grandmother's house, which is also Granny's house. The kids come in and say hi to Granny and to meet me, and then they retreat to the kitchen, which is the center of activities for this house. They go to paint and to have snacks. I stay another few minutes with Granny, and then I lean in close, and I say, Granny, I'm going to go now. As much as I would love to say, I will see you again, I'm also knowing that that isn't what you are hoping for. And she smiles at me and says, oh, she didn't say anything. <laughs> she did, though. She smiles at me, and I say, so let me just say again. It's been an honor for me to have this time with you, and I am grateful to know you. And then she says, we will see each other. We will meet again. Thank you. Thank you.
I leave her room with a prayer in my heart that God hurries up and doesn't make her wait too much longer, and a tear in my eye because I know when she's gone, I will miss her. It felt like she was on the runway, ready to take off, and just waiting for clearance. Granny lived seven more days like that. I did not see her again. The day she died, Joyce and Dan chose to wait to call Granny's hospice nurse. They gave her a ceremonial last bath, dressed her in fresh jammies, put fresh sheets on the bed, combed her thin white hair, and then they called for her nurse. When the nurse came back to the office, she told me that the sensation of love and calm in that house was unlike anything she'd ever experienced. This quiet, unobtrusive, gracious family was there to show us along the way just how precious, no pun intended, how precious and natural an end-of-life journey can be. This was one of those chaplain experiences that I would hope all chaplains can one day have. Being in the presence of someone so filled with peace at the end of her long life was an inspiring opportunity. Granny's energy was soft, encompassing, strong, and warm. There was nothing that was not organic about her. She was a true pioneer spirit, a woman 100 years old who lived almost her entire life on a ranch. She birthed her only child, a daughter, on that ranch, and then heartbreakingly buried her there as well. She lived through the discovery and invention of so many things we all take for granted. She was so sweet. She was so present and she was so grateful. I believe she was as at peace as she seemed, that she was safe, that she was loved, and that she was comfortable, and that she trusted her caregivers to take care of her and then to care for her beloved cat just as they had cared for her. She had an aura about her that reminded me of Mother Teresa. She had told me the first time I met her that she was right with the Lord. The way her voice and eyes looked when she told me the ranch and the land were her church. The way she twinkled when she laughed about her life, about the animals and the crops, putting fried onions in apple pies, and the way her voice softened at the long-ago memory of her daughter and her daughter's death. The experiences I had at her bedside were sacred moments in my own life, as a chaplain, as a wife, as a mother. Her room was a sanctuary from from which she was making the journey of crossing over to join her husband and her sweet baby girl in a new and different way. And I will never forsake the trust and the love with which I was granted access. This is Sean Jung. Thank you for joining me and for listening. And I hope you'll join me again where the veil grows thin. <music>